When my babies went through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the new blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important and is why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, you can get great parenting content with Pampers Club. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Tangeli Rodriguez de Orbe defies category. Yes, she is a poet, an accomplished spoken word artist, a cultural expression activist. But beyond that, she is a free thinker who has a truly incredible ability to describe experiences that we talk about a lot, the pain points of migration, the limits of familial responsibility in ways that feel raw and honest and new. We talk about the importance of Black immigrant narratives, both to immigrants themselves and to our political discourse, and the life-changing power of refusing to be a martyr. Danjeli, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. One of the themes you return to over and over in your work is this idea of being better in your homeland, of having left parts of yourself in your homeland, the yearning to return to something that some would argue is impossible to return to. Can you describe to me, Danjeli, your first experience of that? What you remember, the first time you remember thinking, there is a part of me that is missing. I think I realized that parts of me were missing when I returned. I migrated when I was eight years old and I wasn't able to go back to the DR until I was 21. And when I returned and I was on that plane and I journaled and I waited for my uncle to pick me up at the airport, it felt like something was returning to me that I didn't know was missing. Obviously, you know, being undocumented, you miss home, you miss the friends that you left behind, you miss family members, but there is something particular that happens in the body when you go back 
to the place where people still remember the nickname that your grandma used to call you when you were five, the place where the neighbors look at you in the face and say, wait, I remember that face. Is that so-and-so's daughter? There are certain words that are just simply don't exist for the feeling of, of walking in your neighborhood after as a grown woman and knowing that there was a big chunk of who you could have been missing because you were kind of ripped at the roots and replanted somewhere else when you were only eight. I've done a lot of these Latina to Latina interviews, and there's a pattern that emerges over and over again, which is a mother who is brilliant, but doesn't have the means to pursue her dreams. A child who is then either brought to the U.S. or born in the U.S. and given a range of opportunities that her mother never had, which make her feel in turn as though she has to become a doctor, lawyer, accountant, etc. You seem to have freed yourself of that narrative. And I'm very curious, right, that it wasn't, I have a lot of Latinas I talk to who they did one of those paths and then they decided it wasn't for them. And then they dedicated themselves to a life of creativity or the arts. You seem to have gotten there much quicker. (laughs) And I wonder what either what happened or what it is about who you are that allowed you to skip that part of the common path. Wow. No one has asked me that before. Immigration shaped pretty much my entire experience in the U.S. and most of my life. And wait, would you just unpack that for me? Like when you say it shaped your whole life, like how did that show up? My immigration status was so central to everything. And you knew you knew always that you were undocumented. I always knew that I was undocumented. Yes. I mean, the way that I migrated with someone else's papers, there was just no way for me not to know. And even though as a child, I didn't really know what it meant for me and my future, I understood that there was a secret that was meant to be kept, that I didn't come with a visa or the quote unquote the right way. So there was a certain level of secrecy that I needed to keep to keep myself and my family safe. Since I was a kid, immigration was so central to everything I did because the reminder to me was excel in school, do the best that you can, And maybe someday you'll get papers. Maybe someday a law will change and you need to be prepared for the day that a law can change and you're the best possible immigrant, quote unquote, that you could be or potential U.S. citizen. So there was a lot of uh, pressure and understanding that succeeding was the only path that will ever lead to a green card. So I spent most of my life thinking that I needed to earn my place in this country. And that led me to try the hardest in school, that led me to excel. But at the same time, it created this pressure for me to follow the path that my mom had laid out for me because the sacrifice that she made to bring me here was so huge. But by the time that I got to college, I think what really saved me was women, (laughs) women that I surrounded myself with that really taught me that my identity was not dependent on someone else's and that I was not meant to be a martyr for the movement, for my mom, for my family, and that the only person that could be central to who I was needed to be me. There came a point where I applied to law school because I, you know, I wanted to be the first attorney in my family. I applied to law school. I had been pre-law for years. Okay, good. So you did not skip this entirely. No, not entirely. So I, I was on the path, you know. I was, I was, t- I graduated from college early. I, I was twenty. By the time that I was twenty-two, I was on a pretty secured path to law school. I got in. I got a, a huge scholarship, and then 
as I kept getting these acceptance letters and these law schools kept begging for me to go, I just felt in my soul like, like if I went, my entire life would be laid out in front of me and I would never really be able to explore who I could be outside of my immigration status, outside of my immigrant story. And I wanted to be more than that. So after a very hard decision, I sat my mom down and I told her that I rejected every single law school acceptance. I told her that I was moving to LA. And obviously she was upset. Obviously she said, you did all that just to say no. And I said, ma, I am 23. I have no children, no partner, no debt, and no responsibility to anyone else. If you found yourself at 23 in the position that I am, would you go? And she said, yes. I mean, there was just, just nothing else for her to say. She said, I would, I, I would go. And that's all it took. And within a month, I found a job in LA. And in the following month, I left. And I haven't been back <laughs> to move back to my mom's house since, right? So there was this level of understanding myself, not as an extension of my mom, but as my own person who could still honor my mom by deciding to be happy and do the things that within my power would make me happy and that she couldn't have possibly done because by the time that she was 23, she already had me. And I think now that my mom sees me and she sees all the things that I have done, it's still a little bit of like, okay, but you're still not a lawyer, but you're still not an engineer or a doctor, all these things. But she sees now how I am received by people, the confidence that I have. And I know that even if she's unable to vocalize it, I know that she's proud of that. And I know that in some way, like my mom sees herself in me. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. 
at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. And this is all happening in tandem with your advocacy work with UndocuBlack, right? Yes. I feel very often when I talk to Black immigrants that they feel as though they are not included in the popular imagination of what it means to be an immigrant or an undocumented immigrant in this country. And I wonder if if you remember a personal experience of that where you just sort of didn't fit what it was that people thought an immigrant or an undocumented person was supposed to be. There was not a specific time. I will say that I always felt some kind of representation because the immigrant narrative is dominated by Latinos. And living in New York and in the bubble of Dominicanidad that I was, I felt as though I was part of the conversation. But later on, when I actually joined the Black immigrant rights movement, I realized that there had always been something missing. The first time that I showed up to a convening for Black immigrants where everybody got together to discuss their immigration status is when I realized that the reason why it took me so long to become involved in the immigrant rights movement and become comfortable and being vocal about who I was was because I didn't really see people like me out and speaking up. And, And Caribbean immigrant stories were so... I mean, they were they were not spoken about. A lot of people don't know that Dominicans migrate via Jolas, that Dominicans take a very small boat to Puerto Rico. And it's one of the most dangerous journeys that you can take. Thousands have died. I have, you know, distant family friends who took Jolas and were never heard of again. The ocean swallowed them. And those are the kind of stories that I grew up listening to. That was my migration story. But none of that was spoken about in the mainstream immigrant rights movement. And I realized that part of that had to do with the fact that those stories were Black. And predominantly, stories that tie back to a very dark history of Black people on boats being crossed across the ocean. So my work now um, and my work for the past few years have just been about uplifting Black immigrant narratives that are not usually even spoken about within immigrant rights movement. Mintel is a particularly interesting, which you know as someone who is in the work, because there are forces that have always tried to use immigration as a wedge issue between the African-American community and the Latino community politically. And so it is also politically relevant for Black voices to be in this conversation. Yes, specifically because, you know, Black immigrants are at the intersection of police law enforcement, criminal law enforcement and immigration enforcement, right? So before you're stopped by a police officer, you're not asked where you're from. When a police officer sees a black person, they're not worried about where the black person came from. They're worried about the fact that they're black, right? And that perhaps they look suspicious and all those things must come back. You know, all that racial bias exists just by looking at someone who percent as black to everyone else, right? So there's a very particular experience that black immigrants survive and face that is very tied to black Americans in this country and the history of civil rights in this country. And we see that in the data. We see how black immigrants are disproportionately targeted by police, disproportionately targeted by ICE, disproportionately deported because 
of their interactions with police. And there's no way to really separate civil rights and racial bias and racism in this country from a black immigrant. There just isn't. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Angeli, would you read me one of your poems? I can definitely do that. I wrote this poem because I grew up with white Mormons missionaries coming to my house in the DR. And we really looked up to these missionaries because they were gringos, right? They were white men who we considered to be the standard of beauty. And they were there to not only save us, but teach us about God. I wrote this poem because I remember them always asking me, hey, do you want to pray? And I wrote this poem in response to that and in response to the pain that now it brings me to see how people use religion as means to justify the hurt that they cause. It goes like this. Once I pray for anything, I know that I am lost at sea, anywhere vast and almost infinite. I don't fold my knees, but I do clasp my hands. The truth is I've long forgotten how to pray, how to speak to God, and I feel silly when I get to it. I think of all the ways I've prayed before and I find myself in a labyrinth of questions. I know no Bible verses. In the dream I have, scriptures are written in a language I can understand and I witness a revelation of God that is absolutely undeniable. There is nothing more heartbreaking than having no home to come back to. Like I've traveled and left and left again, but never truly reached anywhere. My people survived those Christians who killed and raped and stole without mercy. I'm not sure how to command my tongue to preach in their congregation when I only know God through their eyes. The truth is I have to learn who else God can be, who else I can talk to that does not remind me of them and what they've done to the people I would have loved in an earlier lifetime. The people who still look like me, no matter how much time has passed. Did you know that someone is mourning while others pray for God to keep the ongoing misery? Did you know sometimes God turns away from his children? Am I allowed to remind you how God slept on us through slavery? And I try not to think about this. I, I just want to pray. I just want to pray the way other people do. They do not think about death. They clasp their hands and think about all the ways that they are still alive and God is alive within them. One day, I will tell you about the time I begged for ease, for papers, begged for the heartbreak not to break me, begged for my father, begged for my mother, I was begged for a mother I was not afraid of, begged for mercy, begged for forgiveness about things that were not my fault. The truth is I am still trying to forgive God. I am still suffering because of him because of his children, so maybe instead I find his wife. And she'll be kinder than he has been. 
Maybe she'll convince me to forgive him. And only because she is asking, I will actually do so. I've only learned forgiveness from entities that did not resemble the God they praise. The white men, them, you, the one who taught me about God in the first place. (sighs) (laughs) That, like so many of your poems, is about borders both physical and metaphysical and moving between worlds and spaces and being haunted by one when you are in the other. Where is it, Danjeli, that you feel most at home? I would say I feel the most at home in my country, in the Dominican Republic, by the beach, with my grandma sitting next to me eating spaghetti con pan in a room full of my family speaking the most Dominican Spanish they know. Anywhere in my country, I think it's, it's a privilege. You know, I was, there was, I couldn't return for so long that I think every single time I go back, it's a homecoming, not just to my country, but to myself. Angele, as part of your film on Dominican migration, you received a Define American Immigrant Artist Fellowship and Grant, which is very meaningful to me because I co-founded Define American wow. with Jamu Green and Jake Brewer and Jose Antonio Vargas. And so it's like, you were our dream. <laughs> like, this was the manifestation of our dream, which is that there are just so many stories that are yet to be told, that need to be told in order for us to reckon with what it means to be an immigrant in this country and what it means to be American itself. Why did that form, that format, feel like the next step in your telling of this story? Why film? My goal for my film was to show the layers and the nuances of who our parents are before we come to be. And the way that we are all, not just one role in our lives. My mom is not just my mom. Before there was me, my mom was a woman who loved a man. And my dad was a boy who, you know, had dreams to be this rich, rich, big person when he came to the U.S. and migrated only to find that this country was not as easy as the other boys made it seem when they were migrating in the 80s and the 90s. So my decision to transition into film was really a way to add nuance to the Dominican experience by allowing people who usually don't speak about their experience to speak on their own, to share their own story and be allowed to give their own stories the dignity that they deserved, whatever that meant to them. And that's what I did with Mommy and Papi. I love it. Danjeli, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Cochin Tashiro is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. 
Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.